A quick disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity, nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved. Realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories, and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity. Listener discretion is advised. In Flanders fields where the poppies blow, between the crosses row on row, the mark our place and in the sky, the larks that still bravely sing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands we throw. The torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. I just wanted to start with that. I want to give a quick trigger warning about this episode because in today's day and age, this is something that I have to do. Um, This is a topic that we never wanted to talk about in the extremity that we're getting ready to talk about in this upcoming episode. But we're going to talk about suicide. We're going to talk about mental health to a degree that we have never talked about before. Uh, And with some honesty that I don't think that you've seen yet from myself specifically. I had posted several weeks ago on our story on Instagram that I had lost a friend from law enforcement to suicide. There's no easy way to talk about this. But it needs to be talked about. And it needs to be talked about a lot more. And... Today, Detective Shannon came over and we sat down and we talked about some of the stuff that we've been going through personally since the loss of a good personal friend of ours. His name's Danny. Um, this is probably the hardest episode we've I've done yet. Um, so I just wanted to throw it out there before we even get going that this is going to be heavy shit. So, buyer beware. You've all been informed. Um, Don't worry, there's still going to be plenty of humor. And uh, the human element that we will bring back our line of work to that. Um, So, I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I, I don't know how better to do it than to sit down and just be brutally honest with everyone involved here. So, this is episode 15, which I'm going to call Burnout. Um... So, I hope you all enjoy it. I hope you all get something from it. Like I say at the end of the episode, I don't care if we know each other or not. If you're in a dark place, don't hesitate to reach out. I'll give you my number. We can chat. I'll stay up all night long. If I can be the difference to help change your path, please let me do that for you. So, here's me and Shannon. This is episode 15 of the Doored Up podcast called Burnout. Uh Uh-uh.
Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, it's going to be a Scorsese movie, but it has to do with like the birth of the FBI and their involvement in like Osage, Oklahoma. Okay. That's all I got so far. It's, it's a cool book. Okay. It has Will Patton as one of the narrators. Okay. There's yeah. like three different segments. There's the uh, female, then there's Will Patton, then there would be like the third person for the third act sort of thing. Okay. Um, Will Patton from like Falling Skies. Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's he's one of those great voices. Well, he's he's a, we talked about it on one episode about actors that were in movies that you're like, oh, I can't remember that guy's name, right. but he's been in so many movies. He's one of those guys for sure. He does a lot of narration for Audibles. He does a lot of Stephen King books. Okay. So... I still am a podcast listener more than audiobooks, more than anything else. I uh, have to have a regimen. I do like three, four books because I credits get backed up. Right. And then I'll burn through a whole bunch of podcasts. And then I'll go back to books. So I bounce back and forth. That's my wife. She, instead of reading books for her book club, she listens to them on audiobooks. She can do that while she's at work. And she always says, well, I read that book. We, it's a constant debate between me and her. Like, you didn't read the book. You listened to it. Yeah. I, <laughs> you just say you read the book, but I right. listened to, you know, I, I listened to 47 books during my last deployment. So are they all abridged? Oh, some of them. That's, that's, my, that's my thing is that you're missing shit if you're listening to the Audible. All right. So a lot of the books, like, I listened to The Stand. It was the unabridged version. Okay. It was, lo- it was long. It was... 46 hours. Yeah. I've got a copy over there of the, um, it's basically like the director's cut version of, of the stand with an extra, I think it's got like an extra several thousand words. Yeah. And that was a lengthy read. That was when I listened to an audible. So yes. Well, it's good to be back. It's been way too long. Been sidetracked and busy. And I think, I think we would be remiss without mentioning our our loss in all of this that we had a a good friend of ours that uh took his own life because of his struggles with shit that he's seen in this line of work and that has caused a lot more introspection than I really expected it to do uh when it happened to me it's been it's been a struggle for me dealing with it I'm I'm pretty open about it I think a lot of us in our two agencies that we work for are kind of in the same boat because Danny was one of the rare breeds that his character matched his, his physical size and everything else. And just was, uh, it's really been tough to deal with. So that, and then I've had a monster of a homicide case I've been working on and went on vacation to Disney world, which was awesome. Like definitely the highlight of, of the last several months was my week at Disney, but I'll need to see the lightsabers before I go. Yes, and the droids. They're upstairs. We, Of course, we've talked at length about what a big fanboy I am. So me and my boys uh, spent a day at Galaxy's Edge at Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World and built lightsabers and built droids and just went apeshit. I've waited 37 years to live a day in the Star Wars galaxy, and it was incredible. It is worth all the hype. The detail that goes into all that shit is just mind-blowing. Right on. Yeah, the the price tag attached to that wasn't, uh, I mean, it is what it is. I, I planned ahead. I did enough research to know that I was going to need to 
You're definitely so, paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all paid for. Right. Like it was all everything except for food and incidentals was paid for up front, which was good. So I didn't have to really worry about it. But I took way more money than I needed, and I'm glad because it was a significant price tag. But if anybody needs insider information about how to plan a trip to Disney, I guess reach out and get a hold of me. It it was several months in the making of me uh, putting it all together and trying to plan it myself. And my wife was involved to a degree. <laughs> but um, we managed to keep it a secret from our kids until we were getting on the plane to Orlando. And then I knew that my 12-year-old would be like, Could read? Wait a minute. Because we told him, we told him we're going to the National Mustard Museum in Middleton, Washington, or Middleton, Wisconsin. And they bought into it and they were like, all right, yeah, cool. Mustard is awesome. They were way more excited than I expected them to be. And the night before we left, we told them we were going on this trip to to this mustard museum. And they were all in like, okay, cool. We're going to stop off in Chicago and rent a car. Like we had to really shoot from the hip on the fly to come up with a a, a viable lie for my 12 year old to not be like, wait a minute, something's up here. But we had told him, well, you need to pack a whole week's worth of clothes. Cause we may get stuck there, you know, and we don't want to take any chances that we're not going to have clean laundry. And they were like, okay. The 12 year old was like, mm. that's fishy. Cause we told them we were only going for the weekend. So we got to our major hub airport in our, our region and uh, sprung it on them. I gave them their magic pass bands. Like you guys are going to need these where we're going. It was, it was, it was a good time. I'm glad that we managed to keep it. They were way more excited to find out that we were going right then. And I didn't have to use it as ammo against my kids. Like if you don't quit fucking up, I'm going to, I'm not taking you to Disney. You know, it was a good time. And it was a much needed break from all the shit that we've all been dealing with in my caseload and everything at work. I didn't think about caseload or work or anything the whole time I was there. Nice. You shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't have to. I would have left my work phone at home too. Well, I've only got one phone now because why not let the sheriff's office pay for my phone? I got rid of my personal phone a couple years ago. Whether that was a mistake, because I was still getting text messages and emails and stuff, but it was pretty easy to just ignore it. And we had a great time. I had more fun on that vacation, I think, than I've had on any vacation in the previous years. Right on. So I couldn't afford to take our kids to Disneyland until they were all adults. Like, yeah. I think my youngest was 19 or 20 ish. Yeah. A big part of that was this summer, the Porsche that I won in the contest that we've talked about when I sold that. It was like, well, that's Disney money. Yep, that's right. Disney money. So I dumped that all in there. Our We call it our Joe Biden baby daddy money <laughs> that we get every month for our, our, the tax break. That's like, I had no idea what was going on because I don't follow the news. I don't give a shit about 90% of political shit right now because it's all about COVID and whose fault is what. So one day start getting tax credits in my bank account. What the fuck is this? Had to do a little research and figure out what was going on. Like, why am I getting $500 a month for who knows? Like, yeah, so it took me some time to figure that out. But we saved all of that money. I saved our COVID stimulus money because as soon as we started getting that in, it was like tax return, overtime. I just dumped money into the bank, saving it. Like, well, I don't care if we eat ramen for a year before we go, <laughs> we go to Disney. And we booked it in 
June or July and finally pulled it off in November because it was way cheaper to go in November than it was in August when oh, we sure. had initially planned. Plus, who wants to go to fucking Florida in August? That's miserable. I think we went in February. Yeah. It was it was good because they had everything. Um, we went the third week of November. So they had everything decorated up for Christmas and all of the, like some of the rides, they actually changed all of the, like on Jungle Cruise, instead of Jungle Cruise, it was Jingle Cruise. Side note about Jungle Cruise. The movie just came out, uh, was released on Disney Plus, so you can watch the movie with The Rock. The movie was good. Um, they haven't changed the ride since 1998 when the last time that I went to Disney. And they use the same, like in the movie, they use the same shitty one-liners that the tour guide gives you on the ride. Nothing has changed on the ride. But the wait times were like an hour and a half to get on the ride. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe they redid it. And we got onto the ride and it was like, no, it's exactly the same. No small world in, in Disneyland was the same as it was when I was in fifth grade. Yeah, yeah, it's a small world. Some of the older rides, Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah, the same. nothing. No, they changed. So they changed Pirates of the Caribbean, but all they did was they added a couple like animatronic Jack Sparrows, you know, yeah, and like strategically placed them throughout the ride. And then the big battle scene when you float through the through the harbor and the pirate. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this for anybody. If <laughs> if you're if you're really hung if you're up, an adult, <laughs> Disneyland. Sorry, my bad. But the when the pirate ship's like shooting up at the at the town of Tortuga when you're rolling through the bay and there's like cannonballs going off when you're rolling by on the boat, they put Captain Barbosa up there from the movie. I don't recall Disneyland being that epic. Maybe there's a difference between land and world. I I think there is. I've never been to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World twice. Um, the first time I went, we just did like part of a day, part of one day in the Magic Kingdom. And hit some of the highlights. And I got in. This is a funny story. I got in line for Space Mountain. Because we were getting ready to leave. I was down there for my cousin's wedding. With my with my dad and my stepmom. And I waited in line for like two hours to ride Space Mountain. And we got all the way through the whole queue. And then you get up to the front. And we're about to get on the ride. And they're like, oh, sorry. Ride's down for maintenance. It's broken. Try again in a few hours. And I was like, shit. And we had to leave. So I never got to ride Space Mountain when I went when I was like 15, 15, 16. And I was bummed about it. And I held a lot of animosity about that shit. So day one when we went there, first day was in Magic Kingdom. And uh, if you're staying at one of the Disney resorts, you get to have early access. It's only like 30 minutes. So like they pile you up and they let you go to like half of the park. They open it early. And it's on the side of Magic Kingdom where Tomorrowland is, where Space Mountain is. So I'm like, first thing we're doing, we're like sprinting. As soon as they drop the rope, we're sprinting all the way to Space Mountain. That's the first ride we're going to ride. And it was awesome. It was worth the wait. <laughs> 20, 22 years in the making, however long it was. It was a good time. So I'm, I'm glad that I got to experience it with my kids and they had fun. And they'll be telling about telling their friends and everyone else about it for, for many years. But I won't, I, the people that go every year, like Roger and some other people that every year they go to Disney, you know, they're vacation club members. And I can't, I couldn't do it, man. There's just too many people. Cause I was expecting it. We got there on a Friday 
and I expected it to drop off over the after the weekend on Monday. No, it's just busy the whole time. Just packed in millions of people. I don't like going to the same place twice. Only vacations that I've gone to twice were Vegas. Yeah, but Ve- Vegas always... Vegas changes enough, I think. Yeah, there's always something new, two or three new things to go to, but Yeah. We went a whole bunch when we first got married and we both had, you know, jobs and Sure. We had we had cash plus you had the Legion Air. Oh yeah. Get flights and three nights. Yeah. For really cheap. So we'd fly down on Friday, be back by Sunday evening, sort of thing. Yeah, round trip ticket was like what, a hundred bucks? Yeah. Something like that. So we did that a lot. We have not gone back to Vegas, so I think since our kids' wedding, it's been ten years. So. Yeah. My wife owes me a Vegas trip. She went once with her girlfriends that was supposed to go on a wedding. Uh, to a wedding her friend was getting married and then they get there and found out that their friend had eloped Mm. and basically like skipped the whole wedding so her and her friends were like and they were there for like a week i mean we went there on our honeymoon and i think we did four or five days and that's too much vegas like i think three days well one year we rented a car one, one of our trips so we went down to Hoover Dam. Oh, okay. We did all that type of stuff that you can get to by car. Sure. It was kind of cool. We got off the strip and went other places. Yeah, and that's, we spent the whole time on the strip just walking around. And, of course, my wife was pregnant, (laughs) so she was, like, all we did was eat everywhere we went in Vegas. It was a good time. So I guess that kind of explains my my absence in the last couple months. I've just been super busy, and I got back into two different bands, so I'm playing again. I've been very... In a very guitar-centric mode the last couple months and playing a lot of guitar, which is good for me and I enjoy it, but it kind of, it definitely pulls me away from a lot of other things, takes a lot of other energy, takes a lot of energy to to be committed to learning new music and playing guitar, so by the time I'm done with that, I'm like, I just want to lay on the couch and watch movies or play Xbox and still trying to convince myself that I'm a um, part-time video gamer and working my way through a whole stack of video games that I've bought myself online. Well, now that it's wintertime, that's when I usually yeah. start. That's when I usually pick it back up. But I have been out for a couple of years. I didn't I didn't play video games during the deployment. Yeah. I just haven't. I've probably been on hiatus from video games for like three years. I still have some Christmas presents from my Xbox that are, I mean, my PlayStation 4 that I haven't opened yet. Yeah. Those are from Christmas like three, four years ago. I go in spurts, and last year... About this time, it was like right at Christmas time last year. I was like, man, that new Assassin's Creed game, the Valhalla game is coming out. I really want to play it. But I haven't played like the six games prior to that. So I managed to get them all in a bundle. So I've been literally, all I have played all year since last Christmas is all the Assassin's Creed games. I've been working my way through that. Well, I get sidetracked. There's too many streaming options for entertainment. So it's video games or... I need to watch Matrix Trilogy again because Part 4 is coming out. Yes. I want to get refreshed. Yes, I would agree with that. That uh, Nolan, my oldest, has he's seen the first, just the first Matrix movie. Because in my opinion, like the other ones, they weren't great compared to the first one. It's hard to beat the first one, but I, really, I dig on number two. Yeah. Reload's pretty good. So he's been wanting to catch up on the Matrix movies before the next one comes out. And that's like next week, right? It's pretty soon. Yeah. You have the Matrix, then you have Spider-Man, and you're going to have 
Disney. Yep. Book of Boba Fett. Dumping. Yep. And I, Star Wars all over us. We, uh, we've debated at length about this. Shannon is not a Beatles fan. <laughs> no, I am not. I, however, you can't deny their impact. I give them all that. I give them that respect. I give them the impact. I get that they had a big influence, but I also believe Black Sabbath would still be Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin would still be Led Zeppelin. Yeah. No, I agree with that because they came from, I think the influence is different, but there's a lot of other music that came that we wouldn't have without the Beatles. Sure. I get that, but I just don't dig on them. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm just saying that to watch the Get Back documentary on Disney Plus and watch these four guys just sitting in a room and literally writing these songs that have like literally changed the world in right. my in my opinion. I mean, I'll probably watch it and I'll probably enjoy it, but it's not going to make me go and buy their greatest hits albums. Yeah. It there's won't be, it won't be on my it won't be played in my car anytime soon. <laughs> so there's a there's one scene in there in the first there's three parts to the documentary and the first part there's a scene where George Harrison's Les Paul, which is the Les Paul that he ended up trading to Eric Clapton of lore. And then, well, no, I got that wrong. If I remember right, Clapton gave Harrison this Les Paul. And in return, essentially, Clapton ended up getting George Harrison's wife. Oh. So there's a scene in the documentary where the guitar falls over. And I literally like jumped up out of my chair like, oh, fuck, no. So I was telling my wife about this and telling her the story about this guitar and how, you know, that guitar is priceless because it's been owned by Clapton and Harrison. Clapton and George Harrison and played. I think it was the one that Clapton played on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. So I'm talking to my wife about how that guitar is just literally priceless and how, you know, how much a 1958, 1959 Les Paul standard goes for she's like well, would you <laughs> would you I, trade me for that guitar yes she's like would you trade me for a guitar and i apparently took way too long to answer that question and said well do you know how much one of those guitars is worth she said well obviously not so i had to pull it up on reverb like there's a les paul standard a 58 on reverb for four hundred and eighty five thousand dollars right now so i was like i mean i I can get another wife. <laughs> you got to just use the angle of, look, I'll be able to take care of the kids at college. Right. Like, that is an investment. That's a significant investment. Anyway, it was, the, the moral of that story is, um, my, my, my wife knows, and I was talking with my partner, Ken, about this. Don't ask me questions that you don't want to hear the answer to, because you're probably not going to like it. Right. So, but yeah, I've been very lazy the last couple months. And it's just, it's all been very cumulative. I haven't been, I haven't been to the gym in months, man. I'm, I'm in the wintertime slump already and we haven't had shit for winter weather. No, I, I'm not in a wintertime slump. I'm in a, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks in this last part of being 49. I just, I started like breaking down. My body knew that it was going to come to the halfway <laughs> point. So I, I was doing really well. I lost 12 pounds. Yeah. I was doing real good. I was down on the, uh, our exercise equipment in the base. We have a really nice Bowflex uh, max trainer mm -hmm. every night on that. Just 
then I would do some push-up sit-ups and other stuff, right? Right. 12 pounds, was eating really well. Then I went to uh, a 10-day school. Oh, yeah, the one in the Wisconsin? Yep. So you try hard as you can. Oh, You're God. eating restaurant food at least two times a day because I would just I went and bought my own breakfast food to have in the hotel room. So yep. eating out with lunch, eating out dinner. In Wisconsin yeah. where everything's fried cheese. They have cheese fried cheese curds the size of golf balls. <laughs> so big you cut them in half with a knife and a fork. Yep. So that kind of ruined it. And I tried to get, I got back. I had to get back in the groove. And then I wound up catching COVID. Oh, yeah. That's I right. I had it for three days. Like woke up Monday morning and by Wednesday night it was done. But then it still took a couple weeks to recover. Yep. So then I'm, all right. So I'm back downstairs. And then three weeks ago, I caught a homicide. Mm-hmm. I got the phone call at six in the morning, so I'm almost stressed. Right. Because I go to work at seven. Right. Seven-ish. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, hey, here we are. You need to come over here. I'm like, all right. So I, I know from experience, like, I'm going to grab a snack and a couple bottles of water because I have no idea how long I'm going to be at this place or where I'm going to go after. Yep. And I have been somewhere where you don't have anything to drink for like five, six hours. Yep. And you can't open the cupboard and grab a glass out of these people's house. You know? mm, well, you should not. Can't and yeah. probably shouldn't are two different things. <laughs> well, so I'm like, all right, water, fridge, garage. So you go out of my garage kitchen, you have to take stairs to get to the garage because, you know, it's yes. offset. And I running down the stairs and I somehow believed that I was going to touch the floor <laughs> but i was still two stairs high I, I missed the last two stairs landed on my left ankle but it was twisted pretty sure my foot got shoved into my crotch <laughs> that's how bad it was i just yep. kept going 240 pounds just smashing into the cement floor yep at the bottom of my stairs against the wall there's a foot locker i Center punched the inside of my left thigh in the corner of that oh. foot locker. So I'm I'm laying on the floor crying in my garage. It's how bad it hurt. And I'm like, I'm going to have to call my lieutenant and tell him <clears throat> I just broke my ankle. Right. I don't know if I'm going to make it to this homicide. Yeah. Laid there for a few minutes, literally crawled up the stairs into the kitchen, laid there for like five more minutes and moving my ankle around like, all right, I can up, down, side, side. I don't think it's broken. Yeah. And then I limped out and I limped around for 17 more hours that day. Oh God. Um, by the time I got home, I got pictures. You can't even see my ankle swollen so bad. You can't even see the ankle bones on each side. Right. They don't exist. It's just it's one like giant a, tree trunk. Like a of fucking tree fluid. trunk. <laughs> All I had was those cheap ass first aid kit ice packs. Oh yeah. That stay cold for like two minutes. Yeah. I cycled through the little fridge in my office. I put them in the freezer part. Mm-hmm. I just kept, st- I, I had them stuffed down my socks all day, walking around with only one shoe on. Oh, man. Like hopping, basically. That's rough. <laughs> so I, uh, the last, I feel like the last maybe two days, I've had like the most healing, and it's stiff. I'm still icing, a lot of heat, and, and I've been doing some exercises that I found. I didn't go to physical therapy. I went to the orthopedic doctor. She put me in a really fancy, I couldn't take a boot. I refused the boot because right. I didn't want to be put on light duty. Mm-hmm. So she gave me this super ankle brace that I've right. been wearing. So that, heat, ice, and then I started, I just Googled and YouTube some 
PT stretches and right. exercises for severe sprained ankle. So mm, that sucks. What is that's that? it is kind of interesting though that in the meantime we've we've both been assigned homicide cases that have been fairly overwhelming. Well, my, mine has anyway. I can say for me personally, it's all I have worked on since I came home from Kansas City my SWAT conference that I talked about on the last episode, which also I'm going to talk about that for a minute. If you've never had a, if you're, you know, a SWAT guy or girl, let me say that. I don't want to get canceled (laughs) guy or guy or girl, she, he, they, them, what the fuck ever. And you have not had a chance to go to an NTOA conference. You need to do it because it was, mind-blowing the amount of networking and just talking about a the trade show was awesome the trade show was super cool i've never been to a law enforcement specific trade show before and i made contact with so many people for so much like the amount of emerging technology for tools and shit specifically for swat it was incredible got to meet some pretty cool people that i have been connected with on instagram forever like my buddy JR, shout out to JR. He works for Modlight now. He's a former LAPD SWAT guy. Finally got to meet JR face to face and chat with him. He gave me and uh, the other guys that were there LAPD SWAT coins, which was awesome. Um, but just seeing all the like the fucking drones and the advancements and entry tools, I forget what to call it, but you know, throwbot solutions like little RC cars that you can take your basically you pop your body cam off or put a GoPro on it and drive this like beefed up carbon fiber, big wheeled remote control car into a house to use that as surveillance, all sorts of crazy shit. Bearcat was there. I mean, they sponsor Lenko sponsors the whole trade show and everything else. One of the number one sponsors for NTOA, but they had the, uh, Teradyne Gurkha there, which if you watch the show SWAT on, it's on NBC and Hulu. The vehicle that they drive around is a Teradyne Gurkha. It's like a Canadian version of the Bearcat. Ramp trucks, just the guns and flashlights and body armor. You name it, man. I could have spent like all day in there. Plus, they had kegs of beer on each end of the room. So like you're walking around. I'm like, man, I'm getting paid to be here. This is pretty badass. But it was almost a full week long conference from like Sunday to I think Thursday or Friday. And then the classes start after the first day of trade show stuff. And they're doing incident debriefs, talking about, here's what happened to us on our team. Here's what we fucked up. Here's what worked really well. And a lot of those debriefs, there was a couple of them where they had officer down situations. There's one from Milwaukee where uh, an entry guy got shot and killed during an entry. Um, So kudos to those guys for being able to get up there and talk about that incident. A... Just to talk about it, being involved and it's traumatic and that sucks to have been involved in that. But to be able to stand up and say, here's what we did wrong. Uh, Here's what we could have done better that hopefully would have brought that guy home at the end of the day. Uh, It takes a lot. So I always tried to catch up with those instructors and just say, hey, thanks for thanks for being here for that." that. I know that's shitty. There was one from I think it was Arizona Department of Public Safety where they ended up shooting a guy from a fucking helicopter (laughs) like I didn't get to go to that one I ended up missing but I caught like the last five minutes of it because we barged in for another OIS 
uh, debrief. But then just a lot of, you know, I went through tactical decision-making class. Um, it's team leader specific stuff like that. That one was a whole day. My partner, Corey, he's one of the other, he's the other team leader on our team. He fell on the sword and did a, it's like a mission planning class, but it was two full days long. So he was in there with lieutenants and chiefs and commanders, you know, and he's just an investigator like me, but also a team leader on our SWAT team. And he was, if he had hair, he would have been pulling it out all the way through that class because everybody's thinking like a commander and administrator, not like a like door a, kicker. Yeah, like a like a team leader, uh, like an entry guy. So I had to I had to give him props, but it was a good time. Kansas City was like you were saying. Um, they do not fuck around with their barbecue in Kansas City. <laughs> so there was several days. I think I probably still have several pounds of unprocessed. <laughs> meat in my system from that trip and that was in September and then we were at a we went to a baseball game went to go see a Royals game and I got a text from my sergeant at home he's like you know I had posted a picture on Instagram of us at this ball game of course getting shit-faced and he's like oh you guys have fun at the baseball game we're out here working your homicide (laughs) I was like what do you mean it's like well we caught a caught a homicide case and uh it's yours and he was fucking with me but I said Okay, I'll take it. He's like, well, you really want me to assign you a homicide case that you're not even here for? I said, yes, I do. And uh, I got home and immediately regretted my, <laughs> my decision. It was, it's been literally all I've done since mid-September has worked that case. And I, I can't comment on it right now because it's still ongoing. And But it has spun off into something way bigger than than I expected it to. So going to keep me busy for another couple months I think but I'm about to the point where getting assigned other cases is it's coming it's imminent but we picked up a new investigator um we got one more guy on our team which is great and I reached out to him today too to see if he would because Jake's supposed to be here but I think Jake worked last night and uh he's probably still sleeping so I wouldn't be at all surprised if he shows up here in the next hour or so I told him the other damn the other night when we were in I said uh 10, 10 30 she's like i'm not getting up for a podcast <laughs> i work all night yes yeah he's on he's on nights this rotation so um i had reached out to um, my new partner joe to see if he wanted to come today but it's it was short notice and he's it's holiday season he's got shit going on and he works a part-time job at a gun store so that he can maintain his employee discount through them which is smart but I think he does like one part-time shift a week. Wow, there's a whole bunch of people do that. There is, because they get a good discount. It's not, some of the stuff, it's not much different than what we would get through Expert Voice or used to be the old ProMotive, if anyone is savvy to that. It was ProMotive, then they turned it to Expertricity, and now it's Expert Voice. And you can get some really, really awesome discounts on all sorts of shit. Um, just being associated with law enforcement. You submit your credentials and they verify you as law enforcement from a .gov email or however that works. And then you're able to get all sorts of stuff. Like I bought uh, that last rifle that I built, my Vortex scope and my Daniel Defense barrel for that rifle both came off expert voice and I spent pennies on the dollar to buy that. That's something I need to work on another. I don't... I just have one. Yeah. I'd like to get a smaller one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's nice to have options. Yeah. 
yeah, I've got I've got a ten and a half, and then a fourteen and a half, two different guns. The fourteen and a half is has the magnified optic on it, and if I need something that the situation dictates which one I'm going to grab, I try to maintain similar setups for both so that it's not totally foreign. And that's just me. That's we could talk all day about that. But um, the other the other place that I get good discounts for stuff is GovX. Um, I signed up for GovX. I always forget about it. Me too. So anytime that I'm traveling on vacation, I always look at GovX for rental cars. Okay. A couple years ago, we went to Texas on vacation, and I booked a rental car for like six bucks a day, and they upgraded me for like another dollar a day to a Dodge Charger, which was awesome. So I'm always looking at GovX anytime I'm looking for rental cars. They also do park tickets to Disney. They do event tickets to, I think they do SeaWorld and Busch Gardens. So if you're traveling and looking for law enforcement or military discounts, check out GovX. We're not sponsored yet. <laughs> uh, I haven't uh, thrown that one out there in a while. Anytime that, uh, any, if anyone's looking to sponsor the podcast, I would definitely work a lot harder on it if I got paid to do it. <laughs> so we went, when we went to Disneyland, we went down. Started in San Diego, then we took the train from San Diego up to Anaheim. They caught okay. a bus, so that was pretty cool. The train ride that was a that was a cool way to get around. But we had one of our deputy friends, Jason. His wife worked it. Oh yeah, for the Hilton branch. Yeah, Jason's been on the podcast. He was on the the Boys in Baghdad episodes. So we got friends and or family co you know worker discount employee discount right. So she gave us these tickets. So our rooms in San Diego were $27 a night. No shit. And nice. rooms at the Hilton Grand Garden in Anaheim down the street from Disneyland were like 57 bucks a night. Nice. So the whole thing with our kids, like we will pay for, I think we will pay for the hotel rooms and you guys need to pay for your airplane flights and whatever you want for snacks and provisions. Right. And then after we got that hookup, and all I had to do was tell somebody that I was, like, the shuttle van driver. That was it. Yeah. If they asked. After we got $27 tonight in San Diego and 57 in uh, Disneyland, we're like, well, change of plans. We will cover hotel and airfare now since we saved hundreds of dollars. <laughs> right. So, nice. I, I appreciate that. It was nice to have that that uh, family hookup. Yeah. Oh, I, I almost forgot. My wife would kick my ass if I didn't mention this. We were on our last day. Was it our last day? Our last day in the parks. We're at Animal Kingdom. And we're making the rounds. And we're waiting. So basically, they don't do the fast pass anymore. They do lightning lane. And it goes off your... You use the app. The app is actually pretty legit. So you reserve a block of time, like an hour, where you can cut down the line and get through a line faster to ride a ride for high wait times. So we're waiting to go ride the Avatar rides because everyone had told me how awesome they were and I, it really didn't blow my skirt up. But anyway, we're up wandering through the little village in Africa and, you know, fighting our way through the crowd and I'm trying to find the closest place where I can get a beer. <laughs> and my wife's like, oh my God, is that John Stamos? I'm like, whatever. Like John Stamos would be walking around fucking Disneyland and I look up and here's this guy and I'm like, that might be John Stamos. And he's got a hat and sunglasses and a mask on because there's a bunch of people that are all wearing masks when they're outside like idiots. And 
as we're passing by him, I mean, literally like shoulder to shoulder, my wife's like, are you John Stamos? And he looks at her and he pulls down his mask and just winks at her and then turns around and walks off. But he's with a Disney like park employee. And I'm like, holy fuck, that was John Stamos. Uncle Jesse. Yeah. So she literally was like beside herself for the rest of the day because as you're making the rounds, like you'll see people two or three times as you're, you know, working your circles, laps around the park. So the rest of the day she was on high fucking alert (laughs) looking to see Uncle Jesse Um, because the boys were like, that wasn't John Stamos. And sure enough, he was like posting on his Instagram that he was there and like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Because when we had got there, April was like, well, I wonder if we're going to see any famous people. And I'm like, famous people don't just walk around fucking Disney. Like, that's why I'm firmly convinced that when the rides go down for maintenance, that's when the famous people are in the park and they get profile. Yeah, they get the high profile people get to go ride the rides by themselves with their family or whatever. And then an hour later, the rides mysteriously working again. I, you know, I bet someone at Disney can confirm that. But that's my theory. So, sure enough, famous people do just walk around in the crowd at Disney World. Well, I guess they have families, too, and they got to go do stuff. Yeah, I mean, he was there with, he had kids with him. You know, he's got young kids. But I was like, He's old enough to be a grandpa with young kids. Yeah, but I was, I wasn't aware that he had split from Rebecca Romaine because I'm like, where's Rebecca Romaine? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not up on the. On the uh, pop culture, uh, who's who's married to who? I, I was quickly educated that him, him and Rebecca Romaine haven't been married for many, many years. So, but it was, um, yeah, Disney was cool. Going back to that again, it was a good good trip. If you're not comfortable in a crowd, it's not for you. Steer clear. I have been talking about monitoring news and current events. Uh, I have been watching the. Ghislaine Maxwell trial updates fairly religiously. There's a page on Instagram I follow called Real News No Bullshit, and they have been transcribing, like, what's going on in the courtroom and posting it to their page. And, like, they are not mainstream media. They don't, you know, but they're, they've got a lot of coverage on it. And I wasn't aware that the one of the AUSAs, that's the assistant U.S. attorney that's prosecuting that case, is James Comey's daughter. Like former FBI director James Comey. So I've been watching that just because I think it's super interesting, like all the dirty shit that all these well, did you the watch world's elite is the involved in. I did documentary on Epstein. I did. And so I take it the girls that were in that documentary are also the witnesses that are some of them. Yeah. Um there's the one gal that um has come out by name. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I haven't had enough coffee yet. It's still it's been a long weekend. But there's one gal that's a witness that's testifying that is a like pretty high-profile Hollywood actress that's going by a fake name during the trial. And the defense attorneys keep naming her, like not using her, you know, whatever, nom de guerre, during the trial. And the judge is getting all pissed off at him and screaming and yelling. But, like, Epstein's two pilots got up in the first two days of testimony and testified about all these people and how many times they flew them where and, like, Oh, yeah, uh, Bill Gates, Donald Trump, Prince Andrew. Like, we we were there when they met with all these people. Like, now there's photos of Maxwell and Epstein meeting with the Pope <laughs> and Fidel Castro and shit that's, like, coming out. 
Well, there's what two presidents, two ex presidents that got flown around with. Yeah, them. Bill Clinton, uh, and Donald, Trump. and Trump. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fucking crazy. There's definitely something to the world elite being involved in human trafficking at a certain level. That's I'm I can't believe there's not more coverage of it, and I know why because they they don't want to. Nobody wants to see the dirty side of all that. Yeah. Well, Nobody wants to see their politician or the people they voted for. Right. In like, bed with underage children. Like, was it uh, Cuomo's brother just got shit canned from CNN because he's, like, pressuring witnesses? It's that sort of shit. Like, I don't know. I don't know why that's what I focus on in the news right now. But, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I've been watching that as far as current events and judicial system shit that's in the news right now, along with there was the school shooting in Michigan last week i watched the videos of the parents arraignment you see the video i haven't seen it but that's what i was just about to come in on that the parents were charged uh as well in connection with that and i think that that's (sighs) so if you watch the video the judge's teleconference and the judge is reading the the counts right to the mom Mm -hmm. do you understand that count four this is what it is right She's just crying like, yes. Do you understand this? Count? She just, each count she read off to her $500,000 bond for both of them. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy that, you know, we live in a the rural mountain states. And um, when we were raised as kids, everybody had guns as far as kids. Yeah, you used to like, have guns in the back of your truck. Yeah. You had hunting season when you were old enough to drive to uh, high school. Yep. And it was yeah. no big deal because you would just leave after school that night and run out into the... Or you'd go in the morning before yeah. school and, and then... Hunt and then go to school. Yeah. And you'd have a rifle and a rifle rack in your back window. I remember having it. I didn't have a rifle rack, but I had rifles, you know, behind the seats in my truck in the school parking lot. Um, and I was a freshman in high school in 99 when Columbine happened and that kind of changed everything that no more firearms were allowed on campus. And, you know, this argument about, and granted, I don't have a whole lot of context cause I, I kind of pick and choose what I read and what to believe, but these parents had purchased this gun that this kid used in the shooting days before and that they had purchased this gun for him and that there was concerns about his mental health beforehand. So I have to take it with a grain of salt because I don't have a lot of the context. But when they were talking about, I did see one article that I read that as soon as they mentioned that they were going to charge these parents in connection with purchasing this firearm for this kid that he used in a school shooting and they fled, it was like, oh, that tells me something. Do you see there's text messages from the mom? Uh-uh. The son. Yeah, it's, that was pretty. They were talking about the news and both my wife and I are like, what? Like, yeah. One of the text messages read it like, Maybe right up to the point before it happened, like, don't do it. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that's, see, that's that's different. And that's what I mean by context, because right. what we do as investigators, like, nothing is anything without context, right? And that's what I tell people when I'm interviewing them all. They're like, why are you asking me all these fucking questions? Because I need context. It doesn't mean shit without context. Yeah, that's interesting. And knowing that, those investigators or that DA's office is only going to give you enough information to make everybody happy. So right. we don't have any idea what was said. Sure. Back and forth with text message. It could be a lot worse once they get their phone slurp, but mm-hmm. that stuff you'll never know right up front. You get just enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's interesting. I, I I'm curious to know what what happens with that because that's kind of a kind of landmark, you know. And there's a especially in our area. I had reposted that article on Facebook about the parents getting charged because it was breaking news, and I breezed through it real quick and read it. And people in my comments on my Facebook, like, because I posted it in the morning and then didn't come back to Facebook for the rest of the day till later that night, and it was on fire. People. Oh, well, you know, we can't buy guns for our kids. Like, well, as a responsible parent, you should maybe be careful about, you know, if your kid's a fucking psychopath, maybe don't let them have access to firearms. Just not judging, just saying out loud what most people are thinking. But that, and um, it's crazy to me. I don't know how it's determined, like, what gets coverage and what doesn't with the press and cause shit like that happens everywhere all day long, every day. Take the Gabby Petito case, for instance, like how many women are abused and go missing and found murdered are there across the nation, across the world. Right. Why does that one get picked out of the, yeah. Uh, Is it because she's a pretty young white girl that was a, you know, social media quote, I'm doing air quotes influencer for, you know, cruising around being a fucking nomad in a van i don't i don't understand what where the disconnect is like why aren't every one of those cases as high profile as gabby petito's case what did you see after that the uh native americans were like oh yeah absolutely what about us we have hundreds of them like you're right like yeah like across the u.s and canada the numbers of missing and murdered indigenous women is unbelievable Living where we live and being as close as we are in our, you know, to the reservation and mm-hmm. our clientele that we deal with, because it only takes a couple hours, they bounce back and forth between here and the city at the reservation. It's like, yeah, I, I'm well aware that there's missing people. Yeah, the yeah. Reservation. It's, it's people can go. I say it all the time. I've said it for years since I was a kid. After the first couple times that I. You know, it was a rambunctious, adventurous teenager with some other friends, made a couple trips out onto the deep, deep end of the reservation and was like, you could fucking disappear out here and they would never find you. It's like, it is not the place for, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old white boys to go fucking around out on the res. It's legit. I don't know. It's a, a lot of places out there. It's, it's unfortunate that it's kind of a third world right in the middle of America. Yeah. I mean, 90% of reservations look about like the one we have in our state. I don't, I don't know. I don't get the disconnect. Like maybe it's just because they're a minority and it's unfair and I don't, I don't like that. Um, But I, it's not just in the U.S. It's definitely in Canada too. It's a bigger problem in Canada than it is in the United States. If you, there's a podcast out there called Someone Knows Something. It's from a guy named David Ridgen that works for the CBC. Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And he did a podcast um, that's an investigative, he's an investigative journalist. And he researches these cold case homicides, missing person cases. And one of them is up in, I think it's Saskatchewan and Alberta. And it's the same thing. Like the statistics of numbers of women, you know, young women that go missing on the reservations in North America, Canada, and in the U.S., I guess is staggering. So I don't, I don't know why Gabby Petito is the focus. I mean, yes, it's awful. It's, it's tragic. 
um, I, I'm going to say it, I may edit this out later. I had the opportunity to look at her autopsy report. Okay. Cause I know a guy <laughs> and, uh, it was pretty fucking violent, you know, it's tragic. Um, but there's no, I just, I guess I can't come, can't say it enough. I don't understand what the disconnect is. Why Gabby's so important. We get fucking dog, the bounty hunter involved in it out there, you know, and CNN's blowing it up. And for somebody like him to come and exploit his, to get five more minutes. Oh, that guy's a himself, fucking piece of shit. I'm going to, he goes and knocks on the parents door. Like, yeah. Like, what is this? What, what do you, you don't, you had a TV show. Well, even then, you have. Do you remember when they came to town? Yes. And they were there was a fugitive that they were looking for. The, the layups that we gave them. <laughs> fucking dog and his crew came to town, and they were looking for somebody. And it was just a fucking. It's a joke. And it's all manufactured for TV. So I don't. Oh man, frustrates the fuck out of me. Like, I feel really bad for the law enforcement officers and investigators that have to work those types of cases that catch that high profile shit because you're fucked. Like, Oh, everything's nitpicked. Yeah. Everything you do is under a microscope and it sucks. Everybody's an investigator. Yeah. Everybody knows how to do their job better. People like Nancy Grace oh, all over fuck. you. Nancy Grace. And who's the, the white woman from the food network that made, that puts butter on everything that made com like racist comments. Oh, Paula Dean, <laughs> like Nancy Grace is the Paula Dean of true TV. I fucking like, <laughs> she's terrible. I remember watching her during, uh, Oh, shit. was it the Casey Anthony? Yes. Case? Casey yeah. Anthony. And just watching her take and manipulate anything that said to her. Yeah. And like, what the fuck do you know about it? Like, I just, that's what pisses me off, is that. So, during this case, uh, this is what really did it for me, as I'm watching it, and one of the people on her show said something about the daughter's underwear were pulled down. And she instantly goes into, so what you're saying is that she has been sexually assaulted. So now, she took that, these child like child found with or without underwear underwear is now something to do with the child's underwear right and it went right into her spinning it into that she was you know sexually molested child right how, how did you get that i'm watching the same i'm hearing the same thing he said i would have never thought of that and you instantly spin it into that i'm like man you're a horrible person yeah yeah that's what i'm saying is that everybody's an expert and i i'm learning and i talk with my partner Lisa and my partner Ken about this every time with my cases that I work sex assault cases mostly because my, my other, my good friend, Sean, he was an investigator for many years and now he's moved on to the training and recruiting side of the house. Um, he's one of my SWAT SWAT buddies. And I've always thought it was crazy that he would say when he was in investigations, like I never went to court on any of my hearings, like sentencing, anything. I never went I'm like, why not? Like, I want to be involved in my case. I want to have a hand in it. I want to, you know, be there for when that shit happens in the courtroom in case there's 
some opportunity for me to get up and argue whatever, which there never is. And that's why, because you're going to get pissed off when shit gets plea dealed out and the judges, like I had a case on Friday, one of a really good case. The guy goes in for a change of plea, files for a change of plea, pleads guilty, pleads an Alford plea, which means I'm firmly convinced that the state has enough evidence to convict me at trial. Like a, a trial of my peers would find me guilty if this went to trial. So I'm just going to plead guilty. I'm not saying that I did it, but I'm going to plead guilty that the state has an overwhelming case. So he pleads an Alford on like amended charges because I filed first degree sexual assault and it gets dropped down to third degree sexual assault with a cold plea provision and an Alford plea. Basically like it gets knocked down quite a bit and the judge drops his bond. The guy pleads guilty and the judge is like, nah, it's okay. You're free to go essentially. Like I'm going to drop your bond down to a, an attainable range where you can get out of jail and just go do whatever the fuck you want. Unsupervised, no ankle monitor, no probation. Like, yeah, you're a convicted sex offender now, but you don't have to register yet until after you're sentenced, but I'm just going to let you go. And I understood like in that moment, I've had enough of those in the last year where I sat there and was like, this is why Sean never went to court <laughs> right there. Cause he just explained, he's like, you'll see. Like, eventually, you'll figure it out that you don't need to go to court for that shit because it's just going to make you mad. So, I understand that. and I, I just wait till I get the paperwork from the DA's office that said either, you know, no load or yeah. conviction. And I read it, and I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's, I've said it many times, talking on this podcast and amongst friends, that I have to, my peace that I have found with it is that I know I did my job. I know I did the best I can, and I investigated that case. And at a certain level, I proved it. You know, whether the jury agrees with me or not, like, there's a lot of evidence there. They wouldn't be sitting where they're at if I didn't have that evidence. So I guess I would rather take a small win over a big loss. Yeah, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, like I said in the last episode when I was talking about my, my case with Austin, um, the guy's going to have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. Now it's not going to stop him. Like recidivism rates among sex offenders are still pretty fucking high. If you look at the statistics, that's another thing that I've been talking with, um, my Lieutenant that handles sex offender registration. And he's been doing a bunch of research into statistics on recidivism rates and how long they're like at what age they're confined initially and sent to prison and how long they serve the severity of the initial crime, how that translates into recidivism rates and how often they reoffend, And it's pretty scary. Hmm. It's pretty scary. I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole there that... Well, I'll switch it. So <laughs> recently I got to travel to another state to go get some... Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Search warrant. This, is a, this is a good... Yes. To see somebody else's process, I guess my thought was, we must all do it about the same way. Yeah, to... Um, you know, there's a there's a nationwide legal standard, but every every everything. So, our search warrant just set up several pages. Yeah, but we have a a, a lengthier search warrant process. A lot of typing, a lot of a lot of blanks to fill in. Mm -hmm. But it goes from me, the police officer, to a supervisor who red pins it to make sure it's good. Right over to a judge. Yes, it's three people. 
me, somebody to make sure I didn't misspell a bunch of words or fuck up punctua- punctuation. And then right. I sent it to the judge. Yep. And it comes back. Mm-hmm. So where I went, their search warrant was basically the affidavit to search and the affidavit. That's it. Okay. Three pages. And the only reason it was three pages is because the length of the, the affidavit part. Okay. It was like actually like only like two and a half pages. Okay. Like, this is it. Like, wow. Huh. But goes from the police officer to a supervisor. Then from there, those corrections go to a legal department. Oh, really? The legal department checks it off as it's good enough for to make them happy. Okay. Then it goes to the DA's office, and the DA's office looks at your search warrant, and then they had this piece of paper, like a checklist of everything that it needs to hit. And then once that's done, the DA signs that piece of paper before you can then take it to the judge. Okay. I was like, that's, I so mean, if it's a, if it's a two in the morning search warrant, you're waking oh, up. There's a lot of people on call to handle this search warrant. Right. And that's at a certain level. I've never liked back when we used to take our search warrants to the judge in person, mm-hmm. um, years ago since thanks COVID pre COVID pre COVID. Uh, but even before then, um, when I was a task force officer with the state on the drug team, we could just walk into the judge's chambers. Like, the clerks would buzz us in through the bullpen. Yeah, it was real convenient. It was yeah, nice. You easy. could just walk right in there and go find whichever judge you wanted. You could cherry pick whichever judge because if you needed it done quick, you, there was a certain judge that after about 3 p.m., he, he didn't give a shit. He'd sign anything you walked in there with. Um, but there was other times where on cases where it was, say, something sort of unconventional on your case that you're, and you want to talk to him. Right. You want to get some judicial review. I knew which judge to go to. And I'm still the same way. A lot of times I will call certain judges. There's one judge, the circuit court judge, that I will call him uh, or have it sent to him if I know that I need a good hard eye on that search warrant to see that I'm in the right. And if there's anything that might come back to bite me in the ass later. But we don't. It's very rare when I ask for DA review on a search warrant given like a homicide case or something like there's definitely questions that I, that I ask. Cause I, I'm fortunate that we're, we, uh, my office has a, my team has a very good relationship with the DA that's taken many years to build that up since he was an assistant DA. So I can text him and be like, Hey man, where are you at? I need to meet with you about this search warrant and pick your brain. And I give him almost daily updates on a lot of my cases, the bigger cases that I know that he's the one that's going to be prosecuting it. And then the assistant district attorney that works sex assault cases with us that (laughs) we all gripe and moan about him um, to a degree, but he is a very effective district, you know, prosecutor. He knows a good case when he sees it. He knows, you know, a clunker when he sees it. And he's like, if we can plead this one out, so it's not on the trial stack. So we don't have to argue xyz at trial let's do that um and it's taken me a long time to build a good relationship with him to be able to have an honest conversation like listen man i think this is a really good case and he's like well you might think that all day long he's like but here's what we don't want to have to deal with at trial so build build those relationships with your prosecutors and that's at every level like i don't give a fuck if it's misdemeanor traffic court if you're not communicating with your prosecutor on what's important to you and why, then they're never you're never going to have great success 
as a law enforcement officer. I mean, that's all the way down to everything. Like, literally, misdemeanor traffic stuff. Like, the guy that used to work misdemeanor traffic stuff at our DA's office is now, he's left and gone into private practice. And if I ever get jammed up and I'm in the shit and I need an attorney, he's my guy. I'm going to call him because we have a good relationship. Right. And I know that I can be like, hey, bro, I need some serious legal consultation here. Um, and I have a good relationship with him, so I can do that. I don't mind the faxing it over to the clerks, and then they get sent back. But it is a disconnect from going over. There is. One of our judges has an extensive library collection. Yes. He's going to his office. He has this wall of nothing but bookshelves, and it has books. And I know what type of books he loves. Yes. Like, he loves, like, submarine war, like. Tom Clancy and yeah, Stephen Koontz. Yeah, has to do with submarines. Stephen Counts submarines as he's down he just loves the shit out of them so i always like going over there and just like man you got a kick-ass book yeah you don't get to do that stuff anymore you don't get to go over and have a conversation yeah but it is nice to that's another thing like once you get into a level of investigations and you're taking those for direct judicial review build those relationships with the judges this is my we're into sage advice to a degree (laughs) um and it's, it's paid dividends because the judges know when they get a search warrant from me that I've done the work, I've done the legwork, and that they don't, they shouldn't have a whole lot of questions. And with the tech side of the house, working, you know, Facebook and Google and cell phones and all the shit that I do for forensic examinations and ICAC and everything else, take that time. If it's something new to the judge, take the time to educate them about it. Like we had a case with like the kiosks where you trade off old cell phones to be recycled for, you mm-hmm. know, take your tweaker track phones in there and they'll give you $3 for it. Your sold an iPhones. Yeah, exactly. I was able to educate the judge on how that process works because he's like, well, he calls me to swear me in over the phone and basically swear to the search warrant. Cause we have to do it telephonically. Now we can't sign the search warrant in person in front of the judge. And he says, I think you put a typo in here that he was selling cell phones. I think you meant to say that he was buying cell phones at Walmart. I said, no, it's correct in there that he took these cell phones in there to go sell them. He's like, oh, well, I didn't know how that works. So I you know, took five minutes of my time and explained the process and how people sell their old phones on these kiosks to him. I had no idea. Well, now he does. Yeah. So and, then, and that kiosk takes pictures it does it takes very good high definition pictures too which is which is pretty cool yeah and i don't know if but i obviously you know but when i first discovered there's also a sticker on the machines with a phone number so i was able to make contact with the guy that runs that company and they're all former law enforcement retired cops so this is another thing like take the time to do some research talked with those guys and they ran me through the program on how it works. They will, if it's within a certain time frame, they can provide you with the actual device that this person dropped in there. They can give you, um, if you have a similar device that you're working, a, say a digital forensic case and you have a phone that's broken, like the screen's broken, they can dig through their inventory of phones, find a similar make and model and send you parts or send you a phone that's not broken that you can bastardize for parts and then you send whatever junk phone back to them to recycle 
Um, if it's within a certain time frame, like I said, they'll give you the actual phone. They'll give you all the records, transaction records for that person for free. No search warrant required. Like they are awesome. Yeah. If, I've had to call them once and talk to them. Yeah. If anyone, if you have any questions about that, reach out to me on Instagram. I can put you in contact with those people. Phenomenal resource for law enforcement. Huge. And they report to our pawnbroker database, which is, that's how we found it uh, in that case, is we were searching for that person to see what they had pawned, and it showed up in our pawnbroker database. and was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So, yeah, shit that I didn't even know about turned out to be great evidence in a case of tracking people down and putting them in a certain place at a certain time. And when I called them, it was for the... They said, well, do you want to know about the, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, like what did like, so like we've had nobody drop a phone for like the last, like, this is the last time a phone, this is the last time an iPhone seven was dropped into our machine. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, well, none of that fits my time frame, but right. Thanks for letting me know that. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like if you're looking for a certain phone, say you got an iPhone 11 pro max, what the fuck ever giant cake pan looking bullshit that gets stolen and you just reach out to them say hey i'm looking for this make and model of phone have you had one dropped in your machines they can look and search by by that and then they can i mean it's just like when you're pawning something because it requires it's the same statutory requirement that people have to provide their name uh photo id when they're essentially pawning something because that's what they're doing according to our state law so and each state law is going to be different so if you're in a different state that may not apply for you, but they'll still have a lot of info for you. So, yeah, needless to say, it's another another big case where I'm learning as I go and shit changes and it's always different. So that's it's been enlightening. So what we were talking about when we first started with our friend that passed. Yes. That has an also weighing pretty heavy and it's... It's one of the top, I would say, three decisions for my life changes that are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can hang back on this until after that decision is made as far as putting this episode out if you want to talk about that. Yeah, it's done. So we can. I, I need to. I'll be going in this week to talk to my bosses about the changes that I'm making. Okay. But So. Knowing what I know about him, he had a chance. He was burnt out. We had talked oh, about yeah. it. He, I think, you know, a lot of people knew about that. Mm-hmm. And he had the opportunity to get out. Yeah. And he he stayed. Yeah. I feel like maybe if he would have gotten out when he got out, you know, we couldn't have this conversation. But between that, my physical health, my mental health, it's just... Before I became a detective, I'd been on the street for eight years. Mm-hmm. And the last couple were really rough. I had just gotten kind of burnt out, tired of going from call to call to call and yeah. driving the car. I mean, it's fun. Being a police officer kicks ass. Yeah. I remember before before you deployed. I, I was about done. Yeah. You were you were kind of hitting the wall. And I knew that I was getting deployed. So I was like, I just have to make it through this. I'll get deployed. And uh, maybe after the deployment, I'll have a better mindset. Mm-hmm. 
during my deployment, I got to the point where the farther I was away from being a police officer, the less I wanted to come back to it on the when I was coming home. Sure. Then I struggled from the time I got back until when I moved up to investigations. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty good. So, you know, there's that honeymoon phase like, oh, thank God, I'm out. I mean, I was to the point where I was putting on a uniform. I was I was changing like the Hulk into a different person. I, yeah. As I'm slowly getting dressed, I'm just getting unhappy. Yep. So once the honeymoon is over with upstairs, on investigations, just back to being just unhappy and miserable. Right. It, it's no longer providing me with pleasure. Right. So if it's no longer providing me with pleasure... And I have the ability to change without really making a huge change. There's no change in retirement. Right. The money is going to be relative. Base level is about the same. Sure. So I, I happen to have a, a way to change and make a, a, a different go at it. I just, yeah. Getting up, so I'm on antidepressant, two high blood pressure medications. Mm-hmm. That's, and I, you know, I gained that, like, like your freshman 15. So oh, I yeah. Gained, when you get to investigation, I gained my, kind of like a freshman 20, and, and I'm trying to shake it, but I can't. Well, yeah. first of all, every time I try to get back into it, I freaking almost break my ankle or I get COVID or something. <laughs> keeps just, All these obstacles that are unrelated just keep popping up. So Sure. Uh, I think part of that's just life, right. you know. But, but I have to, my... Mentally, physically, I shouldn't be on too high blood pressure medications, and I wasn't before. Right. You know, um, taking a, a, a antidepressant to make your day happy so you're mm-hmm. not always worked up and blowing your top. That's not, you shouldn't have to go through that. So, yeah. I've decided that it's, I don't want, I'm, and I'm also down to about four years. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're at, you got a year more than me, so It'll you're at what seventeen? Yeah, so in August of twenty twenty two will be seventeen. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those people that oh, when my grandpa or my dad retired from being a police officer about two more years later, he had a heart attack and died. Yep, and I, because I feel like if that's the if I feel like if I put four more years in like this, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, regardless if I my eating habits aren't that bad, but right. we're exercising, but. You're going to get to a point of no return. It doesn't matter what you do. You've done the damage. Yeah. I don't want to continue damaging myself. I don't even know how long. Like, my blood pressure will be off the hook, dude. I, I monitor it every day, at least three to four times a day. Yeah. I'll do it in the morning. I'll do it at lunch when I go home. I'll do it after work. I'm in the bed. And sometimes after a day at work, you're talking like, I have been like 153 over 105. Oh, good Lord. If you look that up, that's not Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. Um. I've been, like I said, there has been, since Danny died in end of September, um, there has been much introspection by me personally about how I've let this job affect me that translates into every part of my life, how I talk to my kids how I interact with my kids, the things that I let upset me, my interactions with my wife, the way that I look at the world, that's probably the biggest thing. There's always that. We don't, oh man, this is so hard to like put into words. Um, It's very jaded. Everything's very jaded. 
It's very negative. It's very pessimistic. Giving people the benefit of the doubt is completely out of the question, right? Knowing that the majority of people are just going to take advantage of you and look out for themselves. You know, seeing seeing what we see of the world, it's hard to be positive a lot of times, right? The, ca- the types of cases that I work are very mentally taxing. They take a huge toll on me seeing the worst of the worst of what people are capable of. Yeah, that 1% can really destroy us. Oh, yeah. You know, especially cases with child victims. Um, because 95% of the time, statistically, the people that sexually abuse children are the closest to them, which means their family, uh, their trusted persons. You know, uh, my, I just had a, a case that I had for two years uh, in that time frame right after, I mean, within days of what happened with Danny. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> See, we're still at that point. Um, I got notification that I was working a case on a Catholic priest. Hmm. And from the 60s, these cases, like all from 1961 to 1968, this guy was bounced around from parish to parish inside of our state um, by the archdiocese or the diocese at the time, not the archdiocese. And uh, they absolutely knew what was going on. And I made contact eventually with like five different victims. And these women now, which is rare, women, girl victims for this guy are in their 70s. They're in their early 70s. He was in his mid, early mid 80s when I started working the case. And I found out that he died. So it was like, well, guess I'm never getting anything done with that. But I have been able to walk away from that case because and like knowing, feeling good about it, I couldn't have done anything legally. Like my the case that the one victim in my jurisdiction, I couldn't do shit about it. Because it didn't what he did to her didn't fall inside of a prosecutable offense under state statute in 1963. So the other victims, unfortunately, were not in my jurisdiction, not anything that I could really do to help prosecute their cases. But I made contact with these ladies and two of them at the time, back in the 60s when they were young girls, were really good friends. They were pen pals. They lived in separate cities um, and he had actually introduced them And after he sexually assaulted one of them, she sort of associated her friendship with this other girl to the offender and stopped talking to her. So in 2019, when I was working the case, I was able to put them back into touch because I tracked them down um, and found out that the other girl had indeed been victimized by the same guy and put them back in touch after 60 years of not talking to each other. And they're like... Like they had never missed a step. And so they send me Christmas cards and they check in on me. And I do the same for them because they're, I mean, they're grandmas now, right. you know, they've been living with this their whole life. So I had to call, I mean, I put it off for almost a month to call them and tell them, Hey, he passed away. He's dead. There's no chance that I'm ever going to be able to prosecute that. But the one victim that she's got the best case out of everybody, it's just a matter of it happened in another state. And there's a statute of limitations in that state. So as far as criminal prosecution, nothing's ever going to happen. But she said, I mean, this is after 60 years of talking with the church and 
everything else. She's like, I'm going to sue them. <laughs> She's like, it may not be much. Like, I'm not, I'm not looking for money, but I want to feel righteous about this again, you know, and you've helped me get to that point. So that's cool. You know, but that like dealing with that and like the dread of like, Oh God, how am I going to call these women, you know, and tell them that nothing's ever going to happen and he's never going to see the inside of a jail cell. I mean, granted, hopefully he's getting, getting his right comeuppance. Um, if you're, if you're a believer that, uh, he won't hopefully, going, hopefully he he's, won't be going up. He's going to go down hope, on the escalator. Hopefully he's where he needs to be receiving, you know, the pineapple, pineapple up his ass. Like <laughs> 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 if you watch little Nikki, um, but that came right in the middle of, you know, processing and dealing with all the stuff with Danny and everything just seemed to kind of snowball all at once and working big cases and everything else. Like I've been struggling to, um, the holidays don't help. It just, I don't want to think about it and deal with it, but we've been, I think it's really fortunate that it has brought, cause he was a big advocate for mental health. I mean, it was no secret that he, he was pushing for programs to help others like him in the same situation that have been dealing with shit for a long time. Um, I, I'm glad that it's forcing some hands for people to really take a look at it and do what's right and take care of their people. I know that my department is, they're going to do everything they can. They're trying to implement a wellness officer. Like that is their job. That's going to be their job is to just look out for us that have to deal with the worst of the worst of the worst shit ever. And it might not seem like much that happens on a day-to-day basis, but man, cumulative over, over time, it's the damage is insurmountable. Yeah. I think to myself, like, well, why does this affect me more than is my coworker? Some of my coworkers like, don't get so stressed out about this. I'm like, yeah, I'm how, the same how way. Can I not be so stressed out about this. Right. And they don't seem to be affected, but everybody's probably affected in a different way. Yeah. So who knows what they're feeling? Yeah. I just felt like I was lucky enough to have, I had an option. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad that, I mean, the people that are going to talk about it are going to talk about it. Everybody has their own ways of coping. I'm pretty open about it. I'm an open book for the most part. Like when I'm having a rough day, I have people that I can rely on and talk to them. I've built that peer support circle. Um, But one of the cool things is that one of the guys in one of our agencies has started up a peer support group. And it's like, it's like AA. You go in and you sit down and whatever's going on with you that day, you can sit down and let it out with like-minded people that have been through the same shit you have. Have you gone? Oh yeah, many times. On Thursday night? Mm-hmm. I have not. Now I feel bad. Um, I haven't gone the last couple of weeks just because vacation and, you know, the holidays and getting ready to work in this case have been busy, but... um. The first time, the first day, there was like 26 people there. It was a huge turnout. And it kind of dwindled off in the next couple weeks, but that was right after Danny's funeral. And a lot of people were dealing with that. And I haven't gone in a couple weeks, um, but I would, I'm going to start going back probably this week, depending on what I've got going on. 
I could probably go with you. It's it's amazing um, because it's the way the program is built. It's for any first responder. So military veterans, law enforcement, uh, dispatch, fire, medics, anybody that falls inside of that realm is welcome to come. Well, one um, of the things I've been taking advantage of, and I know we have listeners who are veterans, the vet center. Yes, absolutely. It's free. It's 100% free. Uh, the one that we have in town, I enjoy. It's pretty good. Yeah. And, and it's have, all. They have a lot of services. They, I'm able to do a EMDR. Yes. So specifically for trauma, um, I can speak from experience that EMDR helps. I can't. It's eye movement desensitization. I can't remember what it all it stands for. But for trauma specifically, because the way that I, it was explained to me by several friends, um, and I've talked about this before on the show um, with Jake and Trooper Bill. Trooper Bill is working today. I have been trying to get him to come down here and sit down and do a show. And when I do, <laughs> yeah, you need pretty, to be here. It should be pretty epic. It's going to be a great one. But when trauma happens to you, your brain doesn't like your brain doesn't know how to process that because we, we don't have, we're not running from saber tooth tigers and shit like that anymore, but that's how our brain was built. You know, when we've evolved to, Oh, I'm playing Xbox and, sitting around on my making a flat spot on my balls um so when trauma happens to you and you have those fight or flight responses and it doesn't quite know where to go in your brain and it can get poured into the wrong bucket is how it was explained to me so picture that your your brain is a bunch of different buckets and each time something happens to you you pour water into this bucket well with trauma it doesn't know where to go so it'll get it just kind of floats around and then at the wrong time, that shit will get dumped into the wrong bucket and it'll overflow. And that's when you have anger issues and panic attacks. And I can speak for that personally. I've had all of those things. Um, you don't know how to process shit. You're drinking more than usual. I can say that for me personally right now. Um, that's something that I need to work on. But EMDR helps basically pour your buckets out and put it in the right spot. And it's, it's crazy how fast it can work. Uh, I was pretty impressed with the results that I have. Yeah. So we have an employee assistance program where prior to all of this, you would get three free visits to one of the two providers of your choice for go talk to somebody. Three a year. That's it. So I would usually save mine up for the end of the year. Um, and go to one of either of those two people. But they have since figured out that you can file for it essentially under workman's comp and get as many as you need to because we wouldn't be experiencing these things that we experience if it wasn't because of our job. Right. Right. So my department has has really gone, I think, an extra length in researching that and figuring out that Yes, the things that we experience in this job fuck us up and that we need help. And just having it available to you is a huge, huge thing because you don't have to. The cool thing about EAP is you don't notify anybody in your chain of command. It's between you and the provider. 
Like you just reach, reach out to them, set up appointments, whatever you need to do, go take care of what you need to take care of. And if it, whatever level it needs to go up through workman's comp, there's no questions asked. It doesn't, shouldn't, let me say it this way. It should not reflect on your serviceability for fit for duty. Um, if it is at that point, hopefully your, your EAP provider will, if it is affecting you to that level, be honest about it. That's my, I would say if you're being affected by it at all, just make a phone call. Right. There are free options and well, I do enjoy my weekly. Sometimes we just sit there and you just let me vent. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. It really is because venting to your coworkers is, can be competitive sometimes, right? Like just having somebody that's not going to butt in and be like, oh, well, this happened to me, <laughs> you know, right. I'm, I'm going to one up you like my shit is worse than yours. Well, I do like the fact that after I vent for 50 minutes, he's like, all right, so here's what I'm kind of hearing. And here's like my take on what you're saying. Then, yep. I, then, then I get what he, you know, then he gets paid. He's doing what he gets paid for. Right. After he hears me and gets me to mm-hmm. talk and just let it all out. Yeah, because I, I had gone in and was like, I need to, for the longest time, I resisted being medicated. For the longest time. I mean, forever. So it's like, I don't want it to affect me, to affect my work performance. Plus, I drink too much <laughs> to take a bunch of medications. I don't want to counteract that. But it took me going in and sitting down with my nurse practitioner that I have found that understands me and what, like the shit that, how stress affects me physically and having an honest conversation with her. Like, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot let my, because there's nothing wrong with me physically. But man, stress had me thinking daily, like, oh, I'm having chest pains. This is it. This, I'm sitting, somebody's going to walk by and find me dead at my desk, typing a fucking details report. I'm having chest pain. This is it. I'm coming for you, Margaret. I'm coming. <laughs> um, and she helped me like really get a handle on that shit. And um, I'm medicated now and it's going well. I don't have that. How it manifested for me was anger. Um, but not at work. It was at home, mm-hmm. um, which is so unfortunate. And I have apologized and apologized and apologized at length now that things have changed and I see the difference and the change. Um, talking with my wife and my kids, like, I'm sorry that I was just an insufferable, angry asshole blowing up and screaming and yelling about nothing. Like, I'm angry over the dumbest shit. And sometimes it's still... Sometimes I'll even let my coworkers know, like, right now, my medication is not winning Right. So yeah. why don't you give me about 30 minutes and I'm yeah. going to be better. Let me let me get a handle on my instant grumpy or dickhead or angry yeah. mood I'm going through. But right now, you're ruining it for me because yeah. I cannot uh, I and can't battle this. It's been, a, I tell you, having a preteen that has absolutely god-awful just raging hormones has been... The biggest test of my <laughs> my endurance for tolerance. And there's times where I'm like, I cannot be around you right now. Like literally, you you need to leave the room or I need to leave the room or I will strangle you. 
So I feel like I've apologized to my stepdad because when I was a preteen, like, man, he caught the brunt of it. That poor guy. And he dealt with it. And he still is like one of my biggest supporters. And I've apologized to him. Like, I'm getting it back in spades. And that's only one of my boys. The next one's coming. And it's going to be way worse with my youngest. uh, I had two daughters the same age at the same time. Oh, man. I can't. So I had their individual drama. Yeah. And then we would have drama on a daily basis against, they would have it against each other. Right. They'd wake up best friends and then they would come home from work or school enemies. And maybe by the time they went to bed, they were best friends again. It's like Mm -hmm. daily, just, oh, it's you too. Jeez. And I would say that's an interesting thing that we get onto talking about the kids because that is something that I've struggled the hardest with is trying to. Be open and honest with my kids Um, because they knew Danny. They loved Danny. They adored him because he was the cool dad, you know, that they'd go over to his house and he'd take them out in the backyard and throw axes with them and like, you know, just crazy shit. Like, here's how to make a homemade flamethrower with a can of hairspray and a lighter, you know, like the shit that you don't teach your kids. That's the guy that Danny was like an awesome dad. So explaining to them what happened um, and how I'm processing it and having them openly worry that, you know, um, is my dad going to do the same thing? Am I going to lose my dad the same way? And that's man, like it's hard not to be angry at Danny for that, for putting us all kind of in that spot. Um, Because my wife was, is, is, super close with Danny's wife. Um, so she's, this is probably the first time we've lost other people before. Um, you know, army buddies have several that we've lost like that, but they were disconnected from my home life and from my family and having it be super close to home, uh, has kind of opened my wife's eyes at the same time that she's, she's worried about me, you know, just because I guess guilt by association, like, but trying to go through all of that as a family is something that's new, definitely, for us. Because before, it's always been just me dealing with my own shit and my own ways that I need to deal with it. And then her dealing with fallout from that. But now, everybody's affected. And it's I think it's safe to say that a whole community has been affected because that guy was a, was a huge part of... Well, it's a small community for us because my wife is... Her friend too. Yeah, yeah. Our so our wives are extremely close. We have and a bunch of cop wives who are all really close friends together. Yeah, going, they are going through this with her. Yeah, and they're going through it with all of us. And it's it's been it's been a way different experience. Um, all of us kind of very heavily leaning on each other, and I don't know. I know we really brought it down. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, moral of the story, just. Reach out. Reach out. Call Jesus. Somebody. Like, don't. It, who cares what your coworkers think? They're all going through something too. Yeah. Everybody just unpacks it differently and hides it differently. But yeah, make a phone call. Long story short, like, and I reach out. I had call. posted on the Instagram page. I had posted a story that night that it happened. I don't care. I'll give you my phone number. I don't care if I don't know you. If you're going through it, I will do what I can to help you, even if it's just to listen. So anybody out there that's listening, I don't care if you're just 
a layman that has nothing to do with law enforcement or military service or first responder or anything, like I'll do what I can to help out because I don't, I don't, it's not fun. Uh, I had a, uh, so we'll I'll throw some nice stuff in here. Yes. This coming, Let's up divert. Weekend, this coming up weekend is my last drill weekend with the National Guard. Yes. After 20 years. I'm a free man. Well, my official, I would imagine I'll be officially out and have my official retirement ceremony probably like maybe by February. Yeah. But this is our Christmas dinner yeah. party, and it's going to be Christmas dinner. Is it dining out or dining in? Uh, Out. Okay. So then wives, will stuff will be there. So... Is anybody wearing the new pinks and greens yet? First Sergeant. The new Class A uniform? Yeah, First Sergeant has them. There's a couple people. Nice. But since we're, well, I would be more than happy to wear mine because I have a lot of shit after 20 years. Yeah. But I'm not going to fit into it. <laughs> Dude, I still, I saved, I saved my Class A uniform and I still, it's in the closet here. I've got a whole closet full of uniforms, like all my... ACUs and yeah. DCUs and BDUs. I kept one or two of everything. Yep. I kept one or two sets depending on what they had for patches on them. Um, the ACUs I didn't keep because. No, I had two. I have a lot. I have a, I, I kept awful a couple, looking but... uniform. Uh, but all my, all my sheriff's uniforms, I still keep in there. And then my, my army class A's because I still think they looked fucking, the old green class A's mm-hmm. looked fucking slick. They looked good. So I'll keep those, and my kids can, when I die, I'll be like, God, why does Dad have so much shit just, like, yeah, <laughs> piled up? Oh, I have, I'm slowly, I always said after I, I retire, then I will I will get rid of all my shit that I've been holding on to. Yeah, so all I, your old fucking BD, I, like your fucking guess, LBEs and shit. Yeah, I got a lot of, I got three deployments worth of shit in yeah. 20 years. You that's I've a lot got, of stuff. I've got a room down here that's like my... It's a spare bedroom, but it's in my catch-all room. So I've got 10 years of SWAT gear. I've got seven years and two deployments worth of Army shit. Like, I have a tub out in my garage, and I don't know why I still have it. I've got, like, seven sets of brand-new Polypro Long Johns in there. (laughs) Never been worn. They're still in the fucking plastic. Why I kept them, I don't fucking know. They're the most uncomfortable. Like, it's got to be fucking cold for you to wear Polypros. Like, they suck. Yeah, they fucking I, sucked. I don't know why I kept them. Like, wool is so much better than polypros, man. I don't know why I kept that shit. But I still have it for some reason. I'm like, oh, you never know. i just been that way. Like, uh, I'm going to hold on to this until I make it to the end in case somebody ever wants something back. Yeah. I've turned all my stuff in. So. Yeah. All my gear, I, I turned in. It's all gone. I'm just, all I'm doing is waiting for my letter. So, also, I don't know if you know this, when your retirement letter comes from the government, Think congratulations, you made it. You can have any living president sign your paperwork. What? Yeah. That's so, fucking awesome. Yeah. So I so, picked W. Nice. I was going to say. For w, I I'm wouldn't like, even I'm be trying s- to think. I'm like, who would I have? Like, probably George W. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I didn't know that. They're like, hey, you can pick. And there's actually in the PDF, there's like a drop and it has, you know, no shit. Jimmy Carter, W. Yeah, because there's only, what, like five of them yeah, left. Carter. Carter, Clinton, Carter Bush, Obama, Clinton, Obama, and Trump. Trump, right? So I'm just like, well, of course, W. Yeah. <laughs> of course. If it wasn't for him, I would never, you know. Well, it wasn't for 9/11, but then, you know, I got deployed. We made 
he he paid us great. Oh yeah, we got, we got pay raises, raises every year when yep. he was president. And then I was able to buy a house because of him. Hey, mm-hmm. you don't have to have money down. Just everybody own a house. Yep. And then because of my deployments, and then I was able to move that into a career in law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So so W signed on my shit. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Yeah. I just man. I knew we were going to talk about this. I I was hoping that Jake was going to be here. Uh, maybe that's why he didn't come today. <laughs> I can't say I blame him. Yeah, I just, long story short, call somebody. Call anybody. Don't, Don't be afraid t- to go talk to somebody. It's it's actually, it's very liberating. Yeah, you it is. You have a lot of shit bottled up inside of you. It needs to come out. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, we're going to go play with droids and lightsabers and shit. We're not. All right, folks, that was episode 15, titled Burnout. I have to say that in editing that episode, I've never laughed harder than when I said that Nancy Grace is the Paula Dean of True TV. Uh, I'm glad I had that personally for myself. Anyway, uh, I held on to this episode for a little bit because uh, obviously some of the stuff that Detective Shannon was talking about with some upcoming career change. Big news for him. Anyway, holidays are coming up. I want to tell each and every one of you, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and getting ready to kick off the second year of the Door Up Podcast. I love each and every one of you. Reach out to me if you need help and want to talk. I'll be there for you. Thanks, folks. <laughs>